Well, just look out for the next thing, tube brain. Oh, yeah, right. Now that's what I call catching some seeds. Hey, look, looks like some kind of desert world. Hello, hello, and welcome to the DOS Game Club podcast. I'm Martijn, Tijn on the forums, and we've been playing the game Z in August. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, of course, I'm not going to talk about that alone. First of all, he's joined us again. It's our regular co-host, Florian. Hello. Hello. Also joining uh, is David. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. Uh, different David than the last episode. We've we've got, <laughs> but actually, uh, you did send a voice message last time, so thanks for that. No worries. Yeah, no, it's it's always fun to chip in for a little bit of Jill. Yeah, exactly. So it's much much appreciated. Also, we've got a new member on. It's Nick. Hi. Hey. Hello. Thanks. F two BNP. That's uh, exactly. That's that, my my preferred username. Yeah. Exactly. Finally, someone else with an unpronounceable nickname. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, I discovered this this club uh, only very recently. Hmm. Actually, I, I think I'd seen it before on Twitter or something, hmm. but it didn't really register. But okay. Uh, I saw it like early August, and I saw that you were playing uh, Zed. Yeah. A game that I'd been meaning to uh, replay, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Okay, that sounds cool. That's awesome." So thank you for the offer. Yeah, you were you were active on the forums and 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 discussing the game with us, and well, that's actually that's how you get sentenced to join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's that's what that's perfect, you know, because then when when people are new and they're engaging in discussion, that's that's perfect to hear your opinion on the podcast. So, yeah. Thanks a lot for for wanting to join. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to to discussing the game. I think this is quite an interesting title. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. Let's let's just dive in, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Let's go. Oh, my God. Here we go. Cool. I said we're under attack. Unit reporting. All right. Grenade. We're under attack. Yes, sir. Help! Help! Nice one. What happened? Breakfast. Oh, now I remember. Hey, will you turn that thing off? I got a hangover. You have two new messages. Uh-oh. Zod, he's that big-time general. First new message. Now listen up, you lard asses. Where's my damn delivery? It was due here an hour ago. Oh, shit. Second message. If I find out you've been lazy-assing around space again, then I'll kick your red butt, you dumb fuck. Whoa, he sounds pissed. We should have been there an hour ago. Now what? Okay, okay. Everything's fine. Don't overload yourself. Let's just resume our mission. Set coordinates and get out of here. 
their red system. Down there, she got a bare left off the orbital and then take the good slip up and over the... Hey, who's driving this ship? See, I know the short I think it would be good to quickly explain what the game is for people who might not be familiar with this. Uh, I I don't know. Is this a a, a popular title? Is this a a, a well-known game? Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure, actually. It's sort of in between in my mind. It's not exactly obscure, but... Yeah. At the time, I think um, it was quite popular because everyone was doing RTS at the time. And, and if you were interested in, in those games back in the mid-90s, then you would know about it, but it's kind of faded into obscurity. Yeah, right. exactly. And Bitmap Brothers were not, not, not really unheard of at the time, right? No, definitely not. So, so the makers of the game, they were actually quite popular. Hmm. And in the years before this, and I think soon after they... They vanished, didn't they, more or less? Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, yeah, they were more famous for their 80s and early 90s Amiga games, actually. I think mm-hmm. I think they're mainly known for that. I think it's also kind of a cult mm. title. And it also doesn't help that it's called just Z. Mm. So searching for it <laughs> yeah. is kind of an issue <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Definitely, yeah, definitely. This is a game from before Google uh, and, and before... <laughs> uh, search engine optimization considerations and yeah <laughs> so maybe not the best title in hindsight but oh well. um so uh, is anyone able to like summarize this game what what is this game if you're new to to any of this what how can you explain it so basically zed is a real-time strategy game without any resource gathering or mm-hmm. Hmm, that's kind of debatable, but it doesn't really have like <laughs> arbitrary resources. Um, you take control of a team of two, mm-hmm. or actually, I didn't play multiplayer, so I don't know if there's more involved. But in mm-hmm. single player, there's just two teams, opposing teams, uh, red and blue. You take one of them. Um, each team has a set of robots, and your um, your sole objective is to destroy the enemy uh, fort. And you do that by uh, capturing uh, territories and uh, managing to create more robots than your enemy and playing it a little bit more strategically Mm. uh, than your enemy and eventually conquering uh, their fort. That's about it, I think. Yeah. But it's also very much uh, filled with British humor and uh, (laughs) quirky like dialogue and kind of cute. And uh, it actually reminds me a little bit of Worms in that regard. Mm, Definitely. And a little bit of cannon fodder too. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, it's got a bit of that that typical 90s humor uh, that's in in more stuff. Like, I don't know, Beavis and Butthead sort of wacky, goofy. (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of like that, I feel. But more British. Mm, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
so it's a it's a real time strategy game, like you said. It's it's two D, right? It's just simple, yeah, uh, top down, yeah. So basically, like Warcraft or or June two or Command and Conquer, sort of in that mm-hmm. vein, I would say. Lots of sprites, lots of nice looking maps. Yeah, mm, yeah, exactly. Although it is a little different in terms of mechanics from all those other famous RTSs because it just works a little bit differently. Yeah, I'd say it's a bit more um, cut down to the um, absolute necessities for a real-time strategy game. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's really um, the core of, of real-time strategy gaming, I think. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's really move your units, attack, wait for uh, reinforcements to arrive. Attack some more. Attack more exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. was mentioned before, yeah, there is hardly any resource gathering. I mean, hmm. there are sectors, so the entire map is divided into sectors, and at each time in the game, uh, a sector belongs to one of the two factions, and whatever buildings are on that um, sector, they will belong to that faction as well, and then produce or whatever they do. Yeah, for that team. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which is different to other real time strategy games where you just build your bases and you build your own buildings, you gather resources like I don't know wood, gold, yeah. skin gas, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's none of that. Or yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's good. Um, I th- I think that sort of sets the, the like that explains it a little bit for for people unfamiliar, right? So so why did we pick this game? I I think. I think there's actually two things that happened because uh, the, the the most recent thing I remember is that we ran a poll on Twitter, right, Florian? Uh-huh. Yes, we did. So uh, we were looking for another real-time strategy game to play because we hadn't had one for quite a while. And then we checked which ones had been suggested on the forum. Yeah. And the user named Kerrigan suggested that. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I really want to play that. <laughs> yeah. I played that as a, as a teenager and I would really like to play it again. Mm-hmm. And so we we opened the poll on Twitter and thought, which which game could we pitch against that? Mm. And we came up with KKND, Crush, Kill and Destroy. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't really sure what would happen because KKND is, was, was wildly popular as well, I think. Yeah. So, and in the end, it was, it was a quite close... Um, race in the end so set one with only 57 percent yeah but it won yeah, definitely and that's that's what i had hoped for <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's also because we've we've done warcraft and command and conquer before right mm-hmm. so so i i think in my mind those are the big ones and yeah yeah we already got the it would be weird also to put any of those huge games against a title like Z or or cake in d because obviously like if if for example we would put forward red alert that would just win outright easily mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> or something like total annihilation even yeah exactly yeah. exactly so i think that this is a fair more fair competition between Zed and cake indy mm-hmm. i'm sure we'll get around to the other games eventually but yeah yeah for now Zed is a good choice <laughs> it's also too late to change it now right <laughs> <laughs> can't change it now we've we've already played it yeah um you're you're right it was suggested by this user Kerrigan or I don't know how to pronounce it Kerry Kerrigan yeah, yeah. Kerrigan. Kerrigan I guess it's the character from Starcraft yeah exactly I I actually looked it up I I don't think they actually participated in the discussion they, he, yeah, they did post more suggestions, and I sent an email to to them, like asking for, uh, hey, do you want to join, and do you want to maybe send a voice message or or send your thoughts, but didn't get a response. So, ah, sad. 
Perhaps it's an AI suggesting uh, real-time strategy games <laughs> <laughs> online. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's not bad either. I'm not against that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what happened, but, ah, uh, well, we're here. You, you, Florian, you mentioned that you played this as a teenager. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't play uh, lots and lots of it, but I remember playing it at a few LAN parties that I had regularly as a teen. Nice. And yeah, I, I, we usually ask, uh, was the game how you remember it? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was like that. Oh? Uh, I, I didn't remember struggling so much with um, with the hectic gameplay. Mm. So it's, it's, really, it's really hectic, right? Yeah. Um, the game is rather slow, mm. but still very, very hectic. You have to go left, right. Uh, I don't remember that from um, from back then, hmm. but yeah. Maybe you were younger as well, and maybe yeah, that had something maybe, to do with... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm old now. <laughs> maybe the multiplayer too, being different, everyone was equally slow. Ah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. Right, I, I don't think I've actually played against the AI before. So. Oh, that's interesting. Did you have it on your own computer as a teenager? On my own, yes. On which computer? Would I have it well, there? I just mean, uh, did you only see it at the lawn parties or ah, did you play it at... Well, I, I had a copy of it. Uh, a game got uh, at one of those LAN parties somehow. Right. Through right, yeah. uh, undisclosed means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we played it. <laughs> yeah. Happened, so. But you didn't play the, the campaign at home? No. Uh, I think it was also a few years after the game was released. And I think it was more into FPS, Half-Life and like mm. stuff like that mm-hmm. at the time. So Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, David, did did you play it when this game came out? Yeah, so I, I have uh, fond memories of it. Uh, the local shopping center I had had the one computer shop, mm-hmm. and they had games going. Mm-hmm. And I have fond memories of being dumped in there whilst my parents went and did the shopping. <laughs> and I would I would sit there and watch the older kid play normally Red Alert or Zed, and I got to play Zed a few times there. So that was nice. And I ended up picking up a ga- picking up the game a bit later on when I was a bit older. Mm. Nice. And playing it at home. Yeah. Cool. So did you play through the whole campaign back then? No, I probably got about three quarters of the way through when I was a kid. And uh, playing it now, I got about halfway through before my uh, middle-aged crankiness kicked in. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. (laughs) It's quite a brutal game, isn't it? It, You're you're never not doing anything. As we say, it's quite different from the other real-time strategy games because there is always something to do. yeah, and the pace is, is hectic, and um, we'll, we'll talk about this a bit later. But little mistakes, yeah, particularly the start of the game, you just have to restart. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Also, um, I think with other real-time strategy games, usually the campaign is is more laid back, and then it's multiplayer where you go where you get all the stress. Mm. But in this game, yeah, the stress starts right away. <laughs> yeah, the AI is is not holding back. <laughs> It's yeah, it's I don't know. That's kind of cool. So, so is the game like you remembered it, David? I mean, you played it now. Have you played it in between, like like between when you got it and now? I think I picked it up once in the in between years, and I think pretty much all the time I've had the same sort of impression that that I like the game, but it is really uh, frustrating at times. Mm, Right. So. It's 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 is it just as frustrating now? Is it becoming more frustrating as the years go on? <laughs> I, I think originally I thought it was quite cool and new and innovative, but perhaps not now. Perhaps the gloss is a bit weaned off now that I can see its flaws. Mm, right. Well, we'll we'll definitely talk more about that. So, so Nick, how was it for you? Well, when the game came out, I was a little bit too young to play it, uh, and in fact, I hadn't any clue um, about it. I had never heard of it. Some years later, I saw the sequel 
uh, Zed Steel Soldiers, oh. I believe it's called. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine informed me uh, that there that Zed exists. You know that there is a, actually a game that precedes that. And uh, I played mm-hmm. it a little bit. I think I played like the first three levels or so. Right. But I was mainly using, or actually solely using the mouse and no keyboard shortcuts. Mm. So yeah, that hectic nature of the game meant that uh, I found it very difficult to play and react to the AI and mm. just how fast it was doing things. And I just couldn't really grasp exactly how to to be successful in this game. Mm. Um, so I hadn't played it in like... I want to say 13, 14 years at least. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't played it. And then I saw the uh, DOS Game Club um, forum that you were guys going to play it. And I was like, all right, great. (laughs) So, yeah. So did you manage to beat more than three levels this time? Yes. I was far more successful. That's good. Um, Excellent. I remembered how most of the game played. Well, like what the mechanics were. And uh, from that point on, I actually want to say I didn't have that much difficulty. I learned the keyboard shortcuts um, rather fast. And um, I reached level 15, I believe. Nice. And then I think it has like 20 on the original DOS version that I was playing. Mm -hmm. I believe some later releases had more levels. But anyway, um, my main issue was that I was kind of bored with the, Mm. the single player, you know. Yeah. I'm not a huge RTS fan, but I do love me my, you know, my Command and Conquerors and uh my my Blizzard games. Mm-hmm. Uh because the single player keeps you engaged. They try to yeah. to change things up a little bit. So, you know, in StarCraft perhaps you have a level with uh, you know, your regular classic RTS resource gathering. Um and then you have a level with very few units that you take on a set level. Uh, so it kind of keeps things fresh. Mm. And Zed was not like that. It was more <laughs> of a, every level is essentially just a little bit of variation, perhaps throwing uh, a new unit in there, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It is more repetitive than than its contemporaries, I feel. Yes. Especially because there's also no base building. So in, yeah. the, in the games like Warcraft or, or Command & Conquer, there's there's... You know, building a base is most of the levels, uh, but then there's also transport, uh, like like you have to patrol or or guard something or reach some objective, and yeah, and also just exploring the levels is li- because there's there's no fog of war in this game, is there? So oh yeah, you're uh, right. Yeah, so there's no exploring the map or anything. It does feel a little more repetitive. I don't want to be too hard on it because. You know, it came out in 96 and Mm -hmm. it's still very early if you take a look at, if you look at it in like hindsight, it's very early in the RTS genre still. Mm. And it's doing something uh, that like David said, it it basically takes the resource gathering out and it distills it to like the combat and just the strategic focus. And it's very much like a Mm -hmm. rock, paper, scissors kind of uh, balance on the... On the units, so that's what it has going for it. But I think 
this game, and I don't know if you guys, you probably played it multiplayer. I saw someone on the forum played it multiplayer. I think it didn't actually happen, right? Oh. No, we wanted to, but it, then it never happened. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, that, that's too like bad. has been uh, common in the last few episodes, I think. <laughs> uh, We've always wanted to play multiplayer of all the games, but yeah. I think Worms was actually the last game we actually did a, that's too bad, uh, multiplayer of. That's too yeah. bad, because I think the game might actually really shine in multiplayer, as mm-hmm. yeah. most RTS games do, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, but this one especially. Yeah. Because I think most RTS single uh, player campaigns, they have some kind of story developing, Mm -hmm. um, which also helps to keep you engaged. But yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk more. Maybe we can actually move on to that part because this game, uh, I guess it technically has a story. (laughs) It has a story. (laughs) Come on. I, I didn't. I didn't finish the game this time, so I, I didn't actually see all the cutscenes. But I mean, after every level, there's a cutscene, but it's basically just uh, those two robots that you follow around. Yeah. Uh, just uh, getting from A to B, drinking, yeah. uh, eating burgers, yeah, and crashing and into, stuff into up. the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. It's, like, it's okay. It's a it's a war that is developing, but who's fighting against who? And what's it's, when I, are the tides turning? Nobody really knows. No, I don't really. I, it feels slapped on to me. It's like okay, they had this game developed. And now apparently it needed a story, so uh, I don't know. And then they just <laughs> made some cutscenes. It's there's not a lot of connection between the cutscenes and the game itself. Yeah, so. it's very much tongue in cheek, and uh, it also plays off, I think, of um, that Kubrick movie. Uh, mm. Can't remember the name right now, but it plays off of that. And I think it's exactly like you said that. They they needed to because it was ninety six. You know, CD ROMs were all the rage. They just needed to have a story and some FMVs in there, mm-hmm. make it more marketable in a way. Or you yeah, know. yeah. And I remember back back when I played it. Um, I, I, not, not if we're talking about it. I think I actually saw the cutscenes before. And back then, I thought, wow, that's that's actually not yeah. not so bad. Yeah, they probably were oh, great back then. In fact. A lot of people talk about the cutscenes. If you look at like YouTube videos, they they find them very funny. But I have to question like <laughs> how much of the game they played because yeah. the cutscenes like they repeat. Yeah, yeah. It's always the same thing. Literally, yeah. Yeah. I mean the the story actually is that the um, they actually had the game ready to go on floppy without the cutscenes, and the publisher came in and said, "You need to put this out on CD. CD is the next big thing." We want you to put it on there. And then so they were tasked with writing FMV cutscenes to put around the game. Huh. It kind of shows, doesn't it, David? It's entirely separate, yeah. Didn't they self-publish it, though? And... Well, well, t- we'll talk about that later, but it's it's a little bit of both, actually. Oh. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that stuff right. uh, when, when we get to it. But it's, it's, yeah, it's sort of interesting. But to me, it seems um, if if you want to describe to somebody who hasn't actually seen any of the videos, if you can just imagine a low rent version of MTV's slogans mm. done by surfers, surf, drunk surfer <laughs> stoner guys, basically flying a yeah. supply ship. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's got that nineties all over it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of funny to me, but it's not really an engaging story that no. draws you into the game or anything. Not at all. But no. it's still it's still fun to watch for a while, and yeah. I guess they're they're kind of a cultural heritage or something mm. like that. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. yes, exactly. This is my culture. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's ga- gamer culture. Come on, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm kind of confused because the um, 
in the cutscenes, the, there's two main robots and and Commander Zold, who is the cowboy hat guy, yeah. who's also on the on the front of the box. And in the cutscenes, the the two robots are delivery guys or something. They they constantly talk about having to go somewhere and deliver stuff. So none of that is actually in the game. The game <laughs> is just blowing up the enemy. So I don't know how these two things connect because well it's apparently package delivery war i don't know i don't know what's going on with the why is there war at all why are they fighting it's different from other rts games right like in warcraft or in 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 starcraft or command conquer you're always addressed as the commander in chief who is yeah doing the fighting but here it's just yeah watch these guys doing nonsense yeah exactly and so but it's also and and i I think it's it, it has style somehow Oh yeah, definitely. No, 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 definitely. But and and as David said, um, some of the cutscenes actually repeat, don't they? Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes with different sounds, don't they? Oh, so I I think the the voiceover was different. Oh, so I, I saw the exact same uh, sequence where they nearly crash into a dune or something. But I think they they said different things. Mm. They have variations, yeah. Well, so for example, is there's, there's one where they set up giant speakers to blast the enemy base, <laughs> and that happens on both the first dust planet and then on the ice planet as well, at least. Yeah, hmm. it is a cool idea, though. Sure, oh, let's definitely. give it that. It's cool, but <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Yeah, I've not actually reached the end, and I don't think you guys have reached the end either. Nope. But I did read on the internet that apparently after the last level they can have a party because apparently this was all needed for a party, blowing up 20 planets. <laughs> you can't have a party without, you know, first conquering the galaxy, obviously. Well, they won the war, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's a massive party and then the next day they're hung over or something and they don't feel like doing more deliveries. And then actually Commander Salt takes over control of the vehicle to show them how it's done. Uh, but then he's going off doing acrobatic stunts and uh, one of the robots hands him a, a, a one of these cans. There's constantly these cans, right? What What is it? Like beer? Rocket fuel. Rocket fuel, yeah. It's explicitly not beer. It's rocket <laughs> no. fuel. Right. They are robots. After all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so apparently while, while Commander Salt is off doing acrobatic stunts with the plane, uh, one of the robots noticed that actually these cans say, do not shake. So obviously next thing he does is shake it <laughs> and then it explodes and that's the end of the game just everything explodes and you see only captain zolt's hat is the only thing that remains in the entire universe <laughs> so well the game goes to black and says to be continued as oh. both brad and and alan fly off into space and zod's hat flips around with his head yes yeah so uh, that's the story <laughs> oh well so yeah, it's 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 different. Yeah, I remember the '90s being all about these cutscenes, though. I mean, it's kind of weird because you don't actually have any gameplay, but I do remember, especially on the PlayStation. Also, people were really all over these cutscenes. That was really yeah, a big was, thing. They were very impressive, I think, at the time. Yeah, um, but it's also this reminds me. Zed, like David said. Um, came out later because they had to to make these cutscenes. Mm. There's another game that I don't think you've done on the game club, but it's from um, Looking Glass Technologies. 
uh, Terra Nova Strike Force Centauri, that also got delayed mm. because they wanted to do like FMVs with real actors. Yeah. And because they delayed it, uh, it had to to duke it out with uh, with Quake mm. and uh, Duke Nukem 3D. And that ended up like causing them more issues because the game didn't sell that well. Yeah. <laughs> it was a difficult so, time. I think yeah. the whole transition to CD-ROM and and yeah. We'll talk about more more of this stuff later, but it was it was uh oh this game as well was a bit a victim of that, I think. Yeah. Budgets just skyrocketed, I guess. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, team sizes and all that. Definitely. Yeah. Right. So so that's <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but the game, the game is not really about any of this, is it? No. I mean, it's really all about the the gameplay, the just the way the strategy works out. So, so let let's just talk about that for a while because that's really the meat of this game. Um, the way it's structured is it's twenty levels in total. I think the at least the the, the base version, like the first release, yeah, um, spread out over five different planets. Which also, I guess, it also means there's like five tile sets, right? It's like five yeah. backgrounds, five... That, that's yeah. all that it is. It's just a different tile set. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. doesn't really mean anything, but... There's also new units all the time, but they're not really tied to the new environment, right? They're just unlocked as you go. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the the, the five planets, they are the desert, the volcano, the um, the Arctic. The jungle and the city. So there's, yeah, city planet. Makes sense, right? <laughs> I never reached the city. No. <laughs> it's very gray. All right. Mm, I can believe that. <laughs> Let's just say they are beautiful. Like the pixel art is just, wow. Some of the, the backgrounds, like they're they're great. The tile sets. Mm. Yeah. I think that's 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 the big thing for Bitmap Brothers, right? Yeah. They did make very beautiful games. But now that we mentioned those different environments that the game takes place on, did you realize that though it's basically the same that StarCraft uses? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it is a bit classic, I suppose. It's like this classic game environment. Yeah. Yeah. I can believe that, that it's used in other games as well. But I think I think the, the main thing to mention about these levels is just the way they are structured uh, or actually they're they're split up right there there's like a grid of zones i think that's the unique thing the main unique thing maybe about this whole game mm-hmm. it's not not really a grid right they are not uniformly shaped no some can be bigger some can be smaller yeah they can be regularly shaped yeah so so how does this work what's this all about so each uh, so it's basically a game of capture the flag with multiple flags literally actually right mm. um each flag that you capture will make your buildings build faster. Um, each particular zone may have a building inside of it that then you will control if you control the flag. Mm-hmm. And then so basically between you and the opponent, uh, you go out and try and grab as many flags as you can and then obviously battle for the remaining flags and eventually one side will just roll over the other just due to weight of production mm-hmm. due to the, the, the flags that have been captured. Right. Also, buildings uh, just produce stuff every so many minutes. And what's interesting is that the timer is not reset when you capture a zone. So you can actually just wait with your attack until the building is nearly finished production. Then you capture the flag and then you will get the new units instead of your enemy. Yeah. It seems to happen every time when you play the computer, just every 10 seconds. I'm about to get this unit, but oh no, no, they've got it now. <laughs> oh, oh man. 
Yeah, you're so right about that. The AI exploited that. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's another thing that plays into that, that this game is a bit slower than other, other games, right? Exactly. So in like Command & Conquer, if you're fighting a fight at the other end of the map and you're running out of units, you just send new units and you can be quite sure they will, be, they will, be, they will arrive in time. But in Zed, if you're in the next sector, it can be quite, quite a while until your units arrive mm. and it can be too late for the fight because fights are over quite quickly usually yeah it's i think it's due to the um, there's there's not a lot of units typically at once in a single zone yeah mm-hmm. less units than than in a lot of other rts's where you tend to gather a really large army and it doesn't happen so much with set at least not in my yeah. experience and things break quicker right mm. like in in warcraft uh, orcs and and knights can can fight for four minutes without one of them actually dying. Yeah. yeah. But in this game, it's, it's two or three shots and one of the sides is gone. Yeah, exactly. And you're actually capped at 50 units per side as well, so you can't even put that a huge amount of units together if you wanted to. Right. Mm-hmm. And they also move quite slow, like just walking across the map takes a long while, but also producing is, is a lot slower, I think, than in most RTSs. So the combination of this is results in not a lot of units... Well, typically not grouped anyway. There are yeah. pockets of units all over the map, but mm-hmm. there's not like your main big army that's just waltzing through everything. Yeah, that, that, that also doesn't really, wouldn't really work with the um, zone um, thing, right? Yeah. Because you need to make sure that you keep all your zones. Sometimes there are like bottlenecks that the enemy would have to go through and then you can put your units there. But in many maps, it's just that you can arrive at any group zone from multiple directions and then... Mm. It's really hard to protect all of that with just uh, with, with single big army. Yeah. yeah. Some of the maps had very interesting like uh, ideas. I remember one of them in the Arctic had like an island um, surrounded by water that you can only reach with, uh, with robots and they take a lot of time to, to swim. And uh, the factory of that territory... Uh, is actually not on the island, it's somewhere else. So created this interesting dynamic that you had to keep this guarded in the island and uh, things would happen. Like enemy, the enemy would just swarm me with, with robots and I'd be focused on another point of the screen. I was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, not the island again. Yeah, exactly. And I also have to uh, confess, did anybody else have a problem understanding the concept of, of the buildings, like that you can actually change the units that they produce? Because it took me a lot of time to understand that. Someone posted that on the forums and then I knew it. Mm. Before that, I didn't actually remember it from, from back then. And yeah, it's not, not quite obvious because you have to exactly. click on cancel. Yes. You, you open the building and you click cancel. Exactly. And that's when you can select a new unit. And you'd think that pressing cancel would just close the window, but no, it uh-huh. just stops the production and then you can choose. So yeah. yeah, that's a little bit confusing. And it's not apparent that you can change it unless you cancel it, but you wouldn't click cancel because yes. you just... <laughs> Why would, yeah, so that's the whole problem. It's, yeah. I think if they just had shown like the arrows to change the unit, but grayed out or something, that would have made a difference. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. something you mentioned, Florian, is that it's actually difficult to create a sort of a bottleneck, like uh, one point where you can defend your whole area. And I think the main reason for that is that the terrain is completely destructible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, actually water is the only somewhat um, useful uh, um, 
way to to limit off areas mm-hmm. because mountains you can just <laughs> destroy <laughs> yep. mountains you, it, and, and if, if you don't tell your units to go explicitly go around the mountain they will just blast it and just yeah. run right through <laughs> the mountain that's what I, the first time I saw that I go, what are you doing? What they just go right through a mountain and they destroy the mountain in the process. It's like, yeah, why? And it looks cool when they do it. It looks cool. Yeah. But, but let's just say that the pathfinding <laughs> can be a little bit, uh, you know, they, they the soldiers make mind of their own. Yeah. yeah. Like exactly. Like I can't count the, the amount of times that I specifically told them to go like on a bridge or something <laughs> and they'd go like all the way around it or they just destroy a mountain in the process and I'm like where are my soldiers what are they doing why is it taking so yeah. long yeah you have to take constant care about them so yeah maybe that's explained by the whole binge drinking stuff <laughs> in the um, cutscenes yeah but it's also a classic problem of of early 90s rts's in general I, I i don't think there is one of these games that don't have problems with pathfinding right yeah, yeah. So I think one of the biggest problems that this game actually has is the controls. So I think they, they are a bit more um, intuitive than maybe the early Command & Conquer games. Because I, I remember having lots of trouble or problems with them as well, as well. But, well, you have to do some weird things. Like I, I, I sent soldiers in directions that I didn't mean to just because I didn't realize what my uh, controls would be doing. Like in other games, you use left click to select units and then maybe left click to deselect or right click to deselect. But in this game, you have to do all kinds of weird things. And once you click the unit, you cannot select other units until you gave an order oh, yeah. to the ones you had just selected. Or you have to press spacebar to unselect them. It's... Mm. It's it's a bit weird. I I sent units all across the map just because I wanted to select a different unit, and <laughs> then they just they, it's it's not like they keep fighting because then they just oh boss wants me to go I will go. <laughs> yeah, I found the mouse really floaty and unresponsive too. Like compared to something like a Command and Conquer or Starcraft, I was entirely confident with my mouse movements over units. Whereas with with Zed, I'm just the mouse always seems to be just floating around the unit or not necessarily on top of the unit. Mm. I'm never. I'm, I was never really comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it also has this very interesting feature with dubious usability, uh, where you select uh, a number of your units, and then they'll stay packed every time you select them. Yeah, like they'll there'll be like ten units in there, and you're like, no, I just want these three guys. Yeah, that they they form a pack. They're a team now. No, they're not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you like deselect them somehow? I'm not sure. So you have to redraw a box over them to create a new control group to replace, to get them out of the old control group. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, <laughs> that was kind of a new thing, right? I mean, in June, there wasn't any, June 2, uh, there wasn't any concept of control groups at all. Yeah. Uh, Command and Conquer, you had to control 1, 2, 3, and then press 1, 2, or 3. Whereas here, they just thought, well, no, why bother using extra keys? If you drag and select these units together, then it, uh, until otherwise, selecting one of those units will select all of those units. You're right. It, again, it was still very early for RTS, so mm. these sort of... Uh... I think it could be nice, actually, but it's just not very clear what units are in what group. Yeah. I think if they displayed that a little more clearly, then yeah. it, it's actually a nice feature that it auto-groups these units. But I guess they were just exploring uh, what kind of, of control schemes or control, control scheme options we had. and yeah. That was just one of the failed experiments. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We talked a little bit about the sectors, which are different. But what's also definitely different is that you cannot actually build a base at all, can you? Yeah. Or build buildings or there's there's none of that. You you can uh, build guns, I think, right? Gatlings. Yeah. That is true. 
but not factories or radar buildings or repair facilities or they they just are on the map and you have to conquer the zone you know if you want that building mm-hmm. basically every team starts with a fort mm-hmm. that's to the top of the map for one enemy for one uh, player and the bottom of the map for the other player yeah um and then you like have i think a couple of territories as well or no do you actually just start with a fort i can't remember each each team only has one yeah. one territory to start right. with just the one yeah. and a few units okay. so you can actually start yeah conquering zones right away yeah, and the AI is really good at that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like in, in, at the beginning of a level, it would like take take me a minute to get to my first other zone. And in the meantime, uh, I get the message, oh, the enemy has conquered this zone. The enemy has conquered this zone. Like, yeah. oh, three, four zones, but I don't even have one. So. Yeah. I guess the first couple of minutes of every level are the most important mm-hmm. to you uh, achieving success. Yeah, it's really tough because you have to go out there and not only control flags, but also control all the vacant vehicles which have been abandoned around the battlefield. Mm, that is an interesting part, actually. Yep. I mean, that's ammo crates as well. Yeah, and 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 the guns you mentioned. There's just guns mm-hmm. laying around. Um, I think this is a sort of unique feature as well, isn't it? I don't remember from other RTSs that you can actually get into an enemy tank. And then it's your tank. No. Well, you you can control it in in some games. Like um, in StarCraft, there were units that could take over control of other oh. uh, enemy units. Like I think the Dark Dark Archons or Dark Templars, mm. something like that. Dark Archons could mind control, yeah. But that's different though, isn't it? Yeah. And Command & Conquer has has engineers that can take over buildings, don't they? Yeah. So. Yeah. But, but in this game, if there's an enemy jeep coming at you, you can just snipe and take out the driver. Yeah. And then the Jeep just sits there and you can actually get into the Jeep and then it's your Jeep. Yes, and the AI makes sure that it does this very often <laughs> and uh, annoys you. <laughs> but it's kind of cool, though. I mean, it is, this is, it a, is a cool, unique feature. So, But what, what I wondered, um, did anyone catch the AI cheating, actually? Or is it just very good? Mm. It's very fast. In other RTS games, the AI usually cheats. But in this game, I wouldn't even know how it would cheat. I don't think it cheats. I think it's just more naturally able to focus on everything at once Mm -hmm. while you as a human only have your one mouse cursor and your one view. So you have to be all over the map, which is just more difficult. Mm -hmm. And in regards to being sniped out of vehicles and things, I mean, there's a little bit of confirmation bias there, you know, and that the one time where it actually matters to you, it will happen and you will remember it, whereas you don't remember the five times where you did it and it benefited you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's, that's the XCOM 100% chance to hit missing. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of different buildings. Um, it's, it's all rather straightforward, I think. It's just there's the robot factory producing robots. There's the vehicle factory producing vehicles. There's the radar station, um, which is actually kind of interesting because... Uh, like I said at the start, there's no fog of war. So in some other games, you really want to build a radar station just to see what the map is. But in this game, you can already see the map. Yeah. It just, the radar station just enables the minimap, right? Did anyone use the minimap? Uh, it enables the wait. enemy units to be shown on the minimap. And I mean, it's good for navigating around if you need to get units quickly. If you're not using right mouse button to scroll. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just click on the minimap and then move them in there. I did that a lot. And I guess the radar station helps with just keeping an eye on on whether an enemy is close or... I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought the happening. the color coding on the radar was a little bit 
it didn't work for me at all. Mm. Like I couldn't really, I didn't find it very usable. Uh, so I just ended up uh, like uh, right mouse clicking all the all the way to the the map and going like very crazy on the map and just yeah uh, scrolling around really fast. Mm. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> um, well, the mini map is quite small, so maybe it's just too small to really it's too small. Yeah, yeah. Everything is kind of small in the game, right? The units are also smaller than in other games. Yes. So. Oh, well, maybe not smaller than in Command and Conquer. I always compare like something like Star Warcraft where units are yeah, huge. Yeah, I think that's. I I think Warcraft yeah. just has big units. I think that's really it. Yeah, maybe, maybe I have it the <laughs> wrong way around. But, but they're small in regards to the map size, and they just take forever to get around the maps. So the mm-hmm. map is big in compared to the units. Yeah. Do you think it. maybe the game was designed for VGA resolution? Probably because because I think most of us played it, or everyone. In this uh, in this uh, podcast, played it in Super VGA. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. They definitely had more of a tradition working with lower screen resolutions because of all yeah. the the 80s and 90s Amiga games they made. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's from that legacy that they were more used to the lower res. It's also yeah. optional, right? I mean, you can just when you start the game, you can choose whether you want to play the VGA or the Super VGA one. Exactly. So I don't know. Perhaps I didn't try it in VGA, but perhaps the the visibility of the units is better in VGA. I don't know. No. But then your field of view might be too narrow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but that maybe makes the minimap more useful. Oh. Exactly. That's where I was going. Yeah. Um, but also, did anybody have an issue with the minimap or radar? Um, like, I'd have my radar destroyed and still the minimap would work. Oh, hmm. I don't think that's... That was yeah. weird. Cheats. Maybe you had another radar Uh-oh. station. <laughs> Perhaps uh, it's my copy. <laughs> well... It wasn't legit. Let's just mm. no. The, the mini map works regardless. The radar station only shows the enemy units on it. Oh, so okay. right. It, it's there regardless, which is yeah, as as we're saying, unique. Yeah. Normally, you just have to build that exactly. Thing. Yeah. Um. There's also a repair facility, but I think that only comes into the game later. It's not in the first couple of levels. I think. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I, I think I played about half of the game and I didn't encounter it. Yeah, I think it it shows up around like the Arctic levels. So right, right halfway through or something. I think it's level 11 that the Arctic starts. Yeah. So, yeah. Somewhere around there. But I don't know. Is it useful? I guess it becomes more important to to keep your vehicles running as the game becomes more difficult. But Especially the, the costlier ones. So you're not just going to repair your Jeeps, mm. but your heavy tanks, I think, is uh, it's very useful mm. for those. Right. And as Florian said, because all the units die so quickly, after if you win a battle with one of your units, that unit is probably not going to do very well in the next battle. They'll probably die in one hit yes. or something like that. So if you can go and repair it, you save yourself all that time. Yeah. Especially since production is also so slow. So... You can't just replace them with a couple of new units easily. So maybe that makes the repair more valuable. Uh, but that's it already. I mean, those are the buildings. Um, it's not a whole lot. Well, apart from the fort, of course, which is just the, the starting building, right? The fort is kind of unique because it it has almost all of the features. It has the guns mounted on the roof, but it also can produce robots. It also can produce vehicles, I think. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cool do-it-all building. So mm-hmm. yeah, and actually, when, once you lose your fort, it's game over, right? I don't think we mentioned yeah. that before. And sometimes you can lose your fort, even though you have a very big <laughs> army somewhere on the map. <laughs> but just a single, a single robot can take over your fort and blow it up. Yeah, if it's not protected. If you leave it 
unguarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, without like, uh, if you have, I think, uh, cannons on top, it's it's usually pretty safe to assume that they're not gonna. Uh, by the way, there's two ways to lose your fort. Um, you can have the enemy destroy all your uh, guns, or you can have a single. Uh, robot just march in and take over the fort. Yeah, which had extreme difficulty <laughs> doing. Yeah, um, because the guns would just annihilate me every time I try that. Yeah, it's a little bit like that in other RTSs sometimes too. I remember playing Command and Conquer, and there's this the Tanya unit or, yes. or one of the commandos, and they can just blow up buildings with a single click. So you could sort of do the same thing in those games where you could just barge into a, an enemy base and just blow up their HQ or their... I think it, re- yeah. it reminded me of the the engineer from the Command & Conquer mm-hmm. games that we just referenced um, because they just take over buildings. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's just shortcut to game over. I mean, in other RTS games, when you lose your yeah. main building and you don't have a way to construct a new one, it's game over for you. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. So it can you can play on for another hour, but maybe you don't have a way to win anymore. Yeah. So in this game, once you lose the main building, it's done. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, there's that's none of that hunting the map for the last single yeah. machine gun guy. It's, yeah, it's it's another another thing that points to what this um, really reduced uh, just the main RTS gameplay thing hmm. that that seems to do in yeah. all regards yeah none of the boring stuff and also if you lose all of your units you also lose the game oh that's a shame even if you have zones left is that if if you control zones but you have no guns robots or vehicles on the field you will lose the game yep huh oh wait so that's why if uh if i destroyed all the guns on the enemy's fort that's why they lost i guess most likely is it possible to have like a couple of robots or maybe a vehicle in your fort with no guns and still be able to play or is it just game over instantly if you lose all your guns on the uh, fort the, I mean the guns are just mainly there to deter that robot from running in and blowing it up with clearly a can of rocket fuel yeah. right <laughs> uh, they all carry they all carry beer around with them so they're going to blow it up with beer but um, you, you can lose all the turrets on there yeah the reason I'm asking is because every every map I'd follow the tactic of just basically taking all of the territories surrounding the enemy's fort Mm-hmm. And then just trying to take out the turrets. So I thought that because you take out all of the turrets of the fort, uh, it's game over for the enemy. But I guess you're right. It's probably that I destroyed all of their robots. Yeah. Because the the turrets they count as a as a like unit a unit count. They they, they count mm. up in there. Yeah. Right. They count as a unit. There's always that tantalizing appeal to the player. If they can somehow sneak a unit in through the front door, they can win the map without having to capture yes. everything. Yeah. But as you say, the computer turrets usually have like so many pieces of artillery on them, it's ridiculous. Mm. Yep. We talked a little bit about these guns. I think they're one of the cooler features of this game because, well, most other games have soldiers and they have vehicles and that's all kind of standard. But this artillery stuff is... Uh, well, maybe not unique, but it's more it's more special. Maybe it's more yeah. It's rarer that you find this in other games. So they they cannot be moved, and mm-hmm. some maps actually come with some artillery pre-built, and sometimes they're just in places where you don't need any artillery at all. <laughs> like the, in the early levels, there are some closed-off areas, and there's a gun, and you think, like, "What am I going to use this gun for?" Well, let's just ignore it. Yeah. So, yeah, and it also eats up a robot, right? Mm-hmm. So you have less units if you occupy these guns that are 
defending nothing. And just wrong cl- one, one wrong click. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't get your robot out of it, or can you? Uh, you can, yeah. So if you mouse over it, there'll be a little up arrow to tell the robot to evacuate the weapon. Yeah. <sighs> okay. That's That would have been good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, they're just guns in increasing firepower, I think. So at the at the start, it's it's all quite light, and then it it becomes heavier as the game progresses. So you can at at first you can't really take out tanks using these light guns, but eventually you get more powerful ones, which are more capable of destroying the heavier units that are also introduced. So it keeps a balance there, right? Mm-hmm. I think you start with like a Gatling gun, and then eventually work your way through to like. A missile gun or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just increasingly heavy fire, which sort of is following the pattern uh, with the units that are unlocked. It starts with the jeeps, and then it introduces the light and the medium and the heavy tanks as you go on, and uh, and the mobile missile launcher as well. I when I I looked up what units are in this game, there's actually a, a mobile repair unit called the crane. I didn't. I don't. I'm not sure when that one is introduced. More in the last uh, five missions of the game, because oh. in there there are bridges that you can blow up, yeah. and the crane can go and repair bridges or also repair uh, production facilities as well. Nice. And it becomes in a huge strategy of which bridge do you destroy, which bridge do you want to repair, because obviously that opens up paths, and the AI will try and open up a path that you might have forgotten that was blown up in the back of the base or something like that as well. Exactly. It plays up on the strategic, like, uh, destructible terrain that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. And it creates very much, a very interesting dynamic in the, the maps that you can just go around the enemy when they're not expecting you. So you can't really create bottlenecks, like you said. Yeah. Or it's not easy, at least. Yeah, that's cool. There's also an APC, uh, a carrying unit, which which can load soldiers, I think, like, just what do you call these the, the infantry type robots armored personnel carriers yeah, yeah. And, in, and in here and in Z the robots will actually fire from inside the APC so it will give them a little bit more protection yes I always miss that in other games like there's, there's all these guns inside come on use it guys open up <laughs> open up a door I don't know do something <laughs> and actually they actually do in Z which is cool I don't think the APC comes with its own gun though does it David no, you have to man it. Whatever unit you man it with will then fire from inside the vehicle. It's not a, a unit by itself right. in any way. As, as all the vehicles are, right? So as we said before, yeah, all, the, um, all the vehicles have, are piloted by their robots. And according to the manual, the robots' statistics actually change how the vehicles handle a little bit. So if you put uh, the heavy infantry, a, a tough rocket launcher type infantry in a vehicle, they'll be more durable to fire than one that has a normal basic infantryman in it. Is this for real? Same thing goes for snipers as well. Um, If you put like a sniper in an artillery piece, that artillery piece will be a lot more accurate than it would have had if it had a normal unit in it. Wow. Is this for real? Does this actually happen in the game? Because I didn't notice it at all. People have recommended it, and it is in the manual. And I think it is hard to notice. I think there are a lot of ideas in this game that they had that they weren't able to implement. And I think that may very well just be one of them. All right. Mm. Yeah, there's. I think there's a lot of that sort of stuff going on in this game, isn't there? Like, they're trying really to go deep with the strategy element uh, by having this sort of changing stats and, and 
I'm not sure if it all works the way they intended, but I think this game focuses more on that sort of stuff than having a really diverse set of units or vehicles. It's more, it's more about the tactical play. I mean, for example, um, I mean, the big dream in, in the real-time strategy fans is unit veterancy, right? You have a unit that has a lot of kills. Mm. They should be get, they're getting better at that. And it looks like this game has some sort of veterancy. You'll see that units have a white star, then a green star, then a gold star. Mm-hmm. But that's just really the number of kills that they've got. It's not actually related to the unit stat at all. Oh, mm, yeah, that's a shame. It's still, it still, it, it hurts more to lose a veteran unit, but it doesn't actually <laughs> differ from a more noobish unit. Yeah. There's a similar set of robots, right? Like the, the infantry is also pretty standard, I would think. Although the snipers may be a little bit more unique. Um, and there's also a flamethrower guy, which, well, is not unique, but it's, it's different from the normal <laughs> gunfire stuff. Yes. Otherwise, it's just, yeah, rifle, missile. There's a laser unit. I think that's introduced in the end as well, isn't it? That's the highest tier of infantry, yeah. Yeah. And they're pretty powerful. Mm. They can be pretty powerful and useful. Um, but I think every robot infantry um, has their use. So, you know, you can just mass produce grunts because they take very little time to produce in comparison to the other units. And you can just mass send them to locations to spread across the map. Um, the snipers can be very useful for uh, taking out just infantry units that are coming off from, from afar. The laser units are really just powerful, and the pyros, they can just annihilate the infantry. Mm. Or also, I think they do pretty decent damage to the vehicles as well. Well, depending on the vehicle, obviously, but... Yeah, the jeeps they could take out. Yeah. Yeah. But I found it very hard to... Well, not very hard, but it's kind of hard to, in the heat of the battle, to differentiate just, like, visually which unit is which. Mm. Uh, Every time you select them, they tell you what unit it is. But I think it would have been just a little bit better if you could just tell. Some units you can tell, but because of the sprites are so small and they're just like, you're, you're like, you have a blue team and a red team and all the units are either blue or red, essentially. They don't do like a different sprite color. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to differentiate, especially in the heat of the battle. Yeah. Yeah. And because, too, also all the robots are essentially the same, whereas vehicles have a different sprite for each of the vehicle types. Yeah. Unless you remember what uh-huh. type of robot that is that you've put there, you've got no idea what it can do. Yeah. Yeah. This is a bit of a problem um, because in your mind, it's just a group of units. Well, actually, they're, they can be quite different mm-hmm. and, and should be operated differently. Like, they're, they're, they're good at different things, but... It doesn't really tell you visually uh, how they differentiate. So, I guess it's kind of. I mean, it's it's not so bad that that's the same for the enemy units because maybe you don't know from afar what mm. kind of infantry is running towards you. But mm-hmm. yeah, always having to click stuff to find out what it is was a bit annoying. Yeah, and also um, we mentioned there's the red and the blue team, right? They're exactly the same. Yes. Um, some of these games have more like a, a rock, paper, scissor type thing going on where there's, well, there's different units, but they're sort of a good match or, or like similar in style. But 
Well, in this game, they're just exactly the same units on the other side. So, do you mean like in Warcraft, where you have yeah. like the uh, the ranged units on one faction is a little bit more powerful, but then the melee unit on the other faction is more powerful? Yeah, exactly. Right. Or also like in Red Alert, where where it's just really different units, but they're sort of in the similar league, and they can be yeah used good against each other but they're actually different in zed the all, all the the teams are exactly the same yeah you're right yeah so it 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 feels a little uh, less deep because of that i feel there's little well there's less to discover and less to find out what what is going on because yeah also means there won't be like one dominant strategy. Like if there is a small mm. flaw in the balancing, maybe it means you always take Protoss and yeah, <laughs> never Zerg. So <laughs> it's I I I understand it, but it's I feel it's a bit of a shame. They could have had more, a richer spectrum of units, maybe. But oh well, let's see what's what's uh, what's a good gameplay subject I, I think there's a lot to especially the strategy right there's a lot of deep strategy stuff going on where one thing influences another thing or who who has some some good strategy tips <laughs> for us mm. not me i'm terrible at RTS. <laughs> i don't think it's more of a tip than anything else but um basically the first part of each mission you'll spend the time basically understanding where the ai will kill you yeah Mm. And then you restart. <laughs> and restarting. Yep. And, and getting better until you figure out, oh, okay, I need to move uh, this tank here and keep this tank here as well to fight off this tank that comes through. Because uh, trying to fight like one unit that's the same versus another unit can just be quite random just mm. due to how the game works. Um, so, for example, I, I think I had to replay level six um, six or seven times, I think, until I figured it out that I had to put both light tanks together to fight off two individual light tanks that came through rather than relying on one light tank and then reinforcing it later with some infantry and all of all of that kind of thing. Do you think that's by design? Because I think when you know how to play each map, the game isn't actually very long, is it? No. It's the element of randomness, though, which really hits home in these sorts of things um, because the units... Uh, the, the bigger units will fire shells at you. The tanks will fire shells. The artillery will fire shells. And they can miss. They can go off to the side there and cause less damage if they hit you directly. And a little explosion sprite will come up and damage everything inside of it as well. And your units will actually try and dodge incoming shots a little bit sometimes, possibly, with a little asterisk. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> and it's it, there is a lot of randomness if you just let the game play it by itself and on... I mean, I tried a bit myself too. You can actually, what, what, what in RTS they call microing the units, micromanaging them around in a battle. So in theory, you can send your tank in and get the first shot and then pull the tank out again before the other tank responds, mm. guaranteeing a little bit of damage before you actually go in and engage. And does quickly. that work in this game? About three quarters of the time it works acceptably. <laughs> right. Um, again, because again, yeah. the shots are random, the shot just might miss. Yeah. Um, the, the tank's turret might just be facing the wrong way when you go into attack and it might have to turn it around. Mm. Or you might just misclick the enemy and tell it to move next to the enemy instead of attack the enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens, oh, yeah. definitely. That happens a lot more than it should. Yeah. <laughs> Although they will actually engage if you just leave them sort of near, right? You don't ha actually have to click yeah. a unit for it to do something. That's one thing. One, compared to its contemporaries like Command and Conquer, um, the idle units there, they will actually go out and engage units appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. 
they don't they don't just stand there waiting to be slaughtered like in a lot of other games. So I yeah. found that due to the nature of the the strategic part of the game, um, and because usually in the maps you have like nine or ten territories, I found that capturing six and just holding them, you know, just a little bit more than half hmm. gives you an advantage. So yeah. at some point, if you manage to guard them effectively, you just have an advantage in in the numbers. So you can basically destroy yeah. your opponent. But still, the tide can turn uh, very swiftly yeah. if you're not careful with how you use them. So if you send like 10 units to attack a, a rocket gun or a heavy tank, you'll just get a shell and bam, there you go, your units instantly. Yeah. Yeah, and also if you only have one more sector than the than the other ones, then the whole balance is flipped immediately when you lose one sector. Mm-hmm. So it's a tight... Yeah, it's a tight balance. And actually, I think a lot of other games, they have basically have you defending at the start, right? Like a lot of these games, they start a base at the build, at, at the start and, and just gather your units. And it, it rewards you for not engaging too quickly. Yes. While in this game, I think it's the polar opposite. I think if you, if you can get your attack in early and, and you get a hold of a good number of sectors, that... That's really the way to go. There's no real turtling, is there? There's no get enough resources to build the counter unit that's been introduced in this mission to go and knock out their power, construction, refinery, building facilities, whatever, and then eventually steamroll them. It is yeah. go out there and just fight. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's so. there's also an interesting tactic because uh, vehicles and units with explosives can go and blow up the enemy production facilities. So if there's somewhere where you think you you have trouble holding or you're not going to be able to hold, you can just try and sit off to the side and blow up that production facility so they can still have the zone, but they can't build any units out of it. Right. And then you can't actually fix it again. At least in a lot of the missions, you can't repair those buildings. Not until you get the, the repair vehicle. And they changed that in the Windows 95 version so that structures will automatically repair over time hmm. as well. Maybe a response to this. I think it was a bit too overpowered a tactic, I think. Right. Okay, that's interesting. And I can see this working in multiplayer, especially where you can just take up most of the production buildings and then try to defend your own one. And then, well, that's a, that's a massive advantage to, <laughs> yeah. Do, do, you, do you build one unit in, in, in 10 minutes or do you build 10 units in, in five minutes or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing I didn't notice when I actually played the game was that um, debris that is flying around can actually damage your units. I didn't realize that. There's a lot of debris. <laughs> but basically, so the, the buildings, not the buildings, but the, the terrain, the mountains that you can blow up, that will go up in the air and that will land and cause a little bit of an explosion, which <laughs> will damage units. Um, mechanical things like tanks or gun emplacements, they will also leave debris when they die, which can then be blown up. Uh, it's interesting too, if you leave the robots idle for a little while, they'll start shooting at the little critters that are running around on the map. <laughs> and those little critters will go up in the air and then blow up as well, meaning in theory they could blow up on your own units and they could kill themselves. Oh, no. <laughs> Is that, uh, that a way to make sure you don't just leave some units behind? Maybe. I, uh, I think it's a very specific scenario with units on very low health, to be honest. But uh, it, it seemed very silly. And I, I did see units, my, my units get damaged by those things a couple of times. <laughs> not not die, but yeah. That's kind of mean. Let's see. Is, is there something we've missed in terms of strategy or gameplay? Because although it is an interesting game, I also feel it's 
it's quite straightforward, isn't it? Yes. It's, there's there's not too much gameplay, but I think it's more about mastering what's actually there. So it's hmm. distilled down to the basics, yeah, essentially. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a good way to put it. The hard part for me is uh, always remembering to reset what each production facility builds. So when you capture a production facility, it will uh, continue building what it was building before if it was building something, or it will build the basic unit for that facility. It's usually grunts. And as you go along into the game, like the, the grunts and the jeeps aren't useful at all. Mm. You don't want them at all. Right. And you have to rem- you have to remember to go to each flag you've captured and turn it off and cancel, go up to the light tank or the medium tank, pick that build, go whilst you're trying to capture all these flags at the same time and then worry about where their tanks are. Yeah, because that's really the, the progression of the game in general, right? It, it's That's actually nice that it goes from using these really basic units and forcing you to use the more advanced units as you go through the game because they're just that much more powerful, even though they take longer to build. My natural inclination is always to hold off building these slower units and just, you know, flooding the map with cheap uh with cheap cannon fodder but that that strategy doesn't really work in this game but it's a bit sad that the cheaper units aren't actually used anymore or useful in later game Mm. i mean in other strategy games you can still build your basic infantry and they can still be useful in the end game even against the strongest units because you can just have more of them right yeah ah well so yeah that's that's really the the gameplay stuff i think i think we should move on a little bit to the bitmap brothers themselves right Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, they're an interesting development studio. We haven't have we, have we talked about them before, Florian? I don't think so. I think we've mentioned them a few times, but I don't think we've actually discussed anything about them in depth. Yeah, yeah. I remember maybe when we had Tyrion, we talked a little bit about Xenon, probably, which is the hmm, likely the well, that's it's their first game, and it's I, I'm not sure we did, but let's just say we did. And if people <laughs> want to hear more about it, they should listen to the episode. <laughs> They were mostly focused on the Amiga and Atari ST, so it's not that surprising. Yeah. I mean, did they actually port their their games? Um, like, did they do the ports? I know a lot of their games were ported to DOS eventually, but did they themselves do the ports? I'm not sure. Me neither. I uh, I don't know really, because they, they their games were were published or, or were released on a lot of platforms. Uh, yeah. Not just home computers, but also consoles, and I think there's even an arcade cabinet of uh, Xenon so they're really on all systems I can't really imagine them doing that all themselves to be honest yeah because they're quite a small studio so so um yeah let's let's just talk a little bit about where they came from right the company was founded in 87 in uh, London in United Kingdom but what went before is that I I think the company mostly revolves around Mike Montgomery right he's like the the lead guy, the head guy. The, the connecting block, yeah, if you will. exactly. And he had a, a bit of a history in, in computing and gaming and computer stuff because, well, he did a little hobby programming in 1980. He was actually working at Woolworths, which maybe you can tell us, David, is that is that a supermarket or is that a, what is that? Is that a retail? It's a supermarket, yeah. There's an Australian version of that as well, which I assume is the same. Right. Name. That's what I got as well. So, yeah, I, I guess he was just, I don't know, retail manager, something. 
does not particularly by computer day related and by night. Yeah, exactly. Coder and then, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, I, I think that's more more or less what happened. He just got a. I don't know what his first computer actually was. I imagine maybe a ZX Spectrum, something like that. Yeah. Um, starting to code as a hobby, and it turns out he was really actually quite good at it. And he applied at Popular Computing Weekly, which was, uh, I think, a British computer magazine. And those early magazines, they they didn't just have reviews. They would actually make software themselves as well. And they would publish source code or just come with programs you could try on your own computer. So, nice. yeah, very much hobbyist uh, sort of early 80s mentality. And yeah, exactly. Very nice. And uh, so so he worked for the, for Popular Computing Weekly next um, I think he was actually surprised he got hired. <laughs> the The thing I read is that he he sort of applied, well, mostly just to see if his computer skills were any good. So he just went there and 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 talked to them and 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 wanted to know, well, what do you think of my skills? And they were like, oh, can you start on Monday? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's how he got into it. And actually, I think it's also the. Um, the computing magazine world where he could connect easily to other people who were doing computer stuff. So it was a, a way to meet other people with similar interests, which, well, worked out definitely. Because uh, first of all, he met a guy called Steve Kelly. And together with Steve, Mike Montgomery developed a bunch of board game adaptations. Uh, they released a version of Scrabble. They de- released a version of Monopoly, uh, Cluedo as well. So, yeah, that's that's how it started out. And then eventually Eric Matthews joined. And I think that's the moment when they, well, really started Bitmap Brothers for real. I think that's where the name also first appeared. So, yeah, the Bitmap Brothers initially were Mike Montgomery, Steve Kelly and Eric Matthews. Um, and when Eric Matthews joined, I think that's the moment when they decided they would make their own games instead of just porting stuff. and and things for other people instead of that they were focusing on their own things and this was in 87 which was also i think the time when the 8-bit systems were going a bit out of style and all the 16-bit systems were really coming onto the scene so things start things changed a bit uh, when when all the like the commodore 64 and stuff like that faded out a bit and the atari st and the commodore amiga especially started to become more relevant so they really focused on that and I think that's what they're mostly f- uh, famous for as well. Um, in 1988, they released Zenon, which was their first game, a top-down vertical shooter, uh, released for Atari ST, ported to Amiga, but also other systems, Condor 64, MSX, MS-DOS as well. So that was a, that was a hit. And wasn't, well, uh, maybe David knows, it, was that also used in that, TV show or was that another game? I, I know one of their games was used in a in a British uh, children's show, but I'm not. Oh no, I don't remember. No, honestly, sorry. No, it's it's. I mean, I don't remember it especially. I know one other game they released also was featured in a TV show, but I, I think it's also their magazine connection that uh, and and the fact they were based in London, right? Which was also where the BBC was and all the. TV stuff because a lot of other British game developers were actually northern. Uh, they were well away from that a little bit and up in Liverpool or Manchester or well a little bit detached from the London scene. So I think that is also a factor in what made 
the Bitmap Brothers stand out and, and easily have access to this wider scene. Hmm. Um, they also released a game called Speedball in the same year, 1988, which is a really crazy sports violent game. Uh, great fun. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's shooting, it's, it's shooting balls. It's, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but it's cool. And they made sequels to both of these games, right? Yep. There was a Zenon 2 and a Speedball 2, which I think were yes. even... Both exceeded the originals yeah, in popularity. Exactly. And just, they are legendary games. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the sequels were really more famous almost than the than the originals. Yes, definitely. Um, some other games they released: uh, Cadaver Gods, Magic Pockets, the Chaos Engine. I think most people who had an Amiga were really familiar with all these games. The I think Magic Pockets is actually the one that was also featured on a on a TV show. I, I've written down here that it was used on a Saturday morning show called Motormouth. Uh, apparently, kids could call in and by phone shout, walk, jump, zap, and then control a game that was running on a TV there in the studio. So, yeah, that's pretty fun. Well, the first time lag was introduced to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, I think probably by phone, the, the lag would be better than over a, a modem back then. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> yes but there's also human operator lag mm, yeah <laughs> still better probably <laughs> um a lot of these games were also ported to a wild array of platforms including stuff like the sega mega drive or genesis yes um they had some games out for nintendo as well the chaos engine was released on super nes for example so yeah this was really kind of big for the time chaos engine was pretty big too right i think exactly because it was ported to both consoles that were big at the time hmm. kind of uh it went beyond the the classic uh, home computer crowds yeah definitely and and i also read they were really trying to have a cool image um a lot of other developers were more in obscurity and didn't really want to be known to the general public you know they wouldn't have interviews with the press or they wouldn't have photos in magazines but the bitmap mm-hmm. brothers were really all yeah they were really willing to have that so they would have photo shoots with sunglasses on or looking with a i i remember reading a story where they had a photograph taken in front of a helicopter and apparently it wasn't their helicopter at all they were just waiting on a helicopter platform all day for one to land <laughs> 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 and then finally it was there and they, they took the photo and it was like, yeah, cool, we're in front of a helicopter, but <laughs> it was not their helicopter. Uh, but, you know, other developers weren't really doing stuff like that at all. They were just in their cave coding all day. And I think this is what made them different and also what made them... had They had this rock star image, right? They were like, oh, yeah, the Bitmer brothers, they're cool. They're like... Yeah, yeah they, look were, at them. they yeah. were very popular. And I think... Uh... Back in those days, you know, gaming and the internet, obviously, uh, were very different. The internet did not exist, in fact. Mm. Um, so all of these developers, they were shrouded in mystery. And, you know, to to be able to create an image like you wish mm. other people view you as, oh, it's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, they definitely. were kind of the, the rock star. Obviously, yeah. this was like, did they start off doing that? Or was that more like in the early 90s? Because I can think of another studio that did no. that in the, the early 90s. I think they were doing this from the start, to be honest. Wow. Um, I also read that they 
really wanted their name front and center on all the like the box art ah. and the, the games themselves because back then it was more common to have the publisher yes. take more of that role exactly. so you, you know you would buy a electronic arts game or an ocean game or a whatever developer publisher game but the only other two i can think of that kind of um credited the the developers the designers are lucasarts like in their adventure games you'd see uh, Maniac Mansion by Ron Gilbert mm. or um, Sam and Max by whoever designed that. Yeah. I can't remember right now, but <laughs> uh, I think Day of the Tentacles had that. Mm. Uh, I can't recall if Sierra, outside of Roberta Williams, if they did that as well. A little less pronounced, maybe. I think definitely. Yeah. Perhaps with the Gabriel Knight games, they referenced, they uh, credited. Um, God, I can't remember her name. Um, Jane Jensen. Yes, Jane Jensen. Yeah. I think so, perhaps starting with the second game, they, they may have marketed it, marketed it uh, more um, like that it was Jane Jensen that actually mm. designed those games. But well, anyway. In the early days, it was even common to not put the developers' names at all anywhere. I mean, that's basically the reason Activision was founded, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It's it was more the the publisher would would act like a label, like a a name, and also as like a seal of quality. Like, yeah, oh, if you buy a game from that yeah. publisher, the U.S. Gold, <laughs> the Atari seal of seal quality. Of quality. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the quality wasn't uniform <laughs> across, the, <laughs> but yeah, that was sort of the idea, and different uh, developers chipping in, and it wasn't as relevant which developer exactly which made which game, and well, Bitman Brothers felt differently about this and really wanted their name front and center, so they did that, they did this stuff from the start, and I guess this is also why they're more of a household name than many other developers from the 80s. To, to bring in more at home, rather to have a sort of uh, closer comparison did also would you consider uh sensible software doing sort of the same thing hmm. i don't remember if they did like magazine photo shoots or anything but their games they they usually like in canon fodder uh they had photos of themselves like in the credits in the opening credits yeah and in some versions they they had like a full full motion video and it was hmm. just them goofing around i don't know if you've seen that I, I don't think I've played Sensible Soccer, actually. Um, I wish... I, I Yeah, this is something we should look into because it would be fun to have like a sports month or something for Dos Game Club and check out these games. But Someone's been requesting we play cricket games for years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny you should mention Sensible Soccer because actually there's a big connection to the Bitmap Brothers with that game because I think, well, Sensible Software was also located in the UK and there were quite familiar with each other and also taunting each other a little bit sometimes and just goofing off. But eventually, in 1991, Bitmap Brothers, um, they created their own publishing company called Renegade Software. Mm -hmm. And one of the titles they published was Sensible Soccer. So actually, yeah, the Sensible Soccer was going through the Bitmap Brothers publishing house, um, which I'm sure hmm. made them look at each other and and be familiar with the way they were operating. Another title they published was Turrican 3, which was, I think, a big one on the Amiga as well. Um, they they released a bunch of uh, games from, from different developers. I mean, it, it wasn't just their own, uh, their own software that they were publishing. It was just a general publisher for, for all sorts, mainly Amiga games, I think. 
I looked up some of them. I don't know most of them, to be honest. Uh, some of the games in the list, Fire and Ice, Elfmania, Virocop. I've been told Virocop is actually a very good game. But I've n- Fire and Ice is also very beautiful. Mm. I don't remember if it plays that well. I think I remember it being a little bit too floaty. But mm. man, that was a very beautiful game. Yeah, I think I think they had a certain standard uh, <laughs> that had to be met. They haven't released a lot of games, but the games they did release were really good overall. So, mm-hmm. I mean, th- they had a good hit ratio, like not a lot of filler titles. Yeah, I mean... So. Just sensible soccer, Turkin three, and Flight of the Amazon Queen alone. You know, mm. these are three great games, uh, legendary even. They did release Flight of the Amazon Queen. That's I think that's the only one I actually played. Mm-hmm. It's a point and click adventure, yeah. Um, sort of in the Lucas Arts style. It's fun. It's good. I I like it a lot. Um, it didn't last for a whole lot of years because uh, they founded the publisher house in ninety one. But it was sold to GT Interactive in 97 already. Hmm. So, yeah, just a few years to to put out these games. And actually, um, I think we mentioned this at the start a little bit, but is this game published by Renegade or is it published by Virgin? I, I think sort of both, because I think by the time Zed came out in 96, they were sort of in the process of selling Renegade to GT Interactive or or maybe Time Warner. I don't know. I have these companies I don't really <laughs> know a lot about. But they, they were in the process of selling off the publisher to a bigger company. Okay, um, that makes sense, yeah. So I, I think eventually it was handled by Virgin, but... It has both logos on the splash screen. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure how much Renegade still existed as a real separate entity at that point. I think that's really what it was like. And and you're right, David. It's actually really interesting that I think it's Virgin mostly that insisted them to release this game on CD-ROM, which was, of course, all the rage in the mid-90s. But that posed a bit of a problem because they they did not develop this game with the CD-ROM in mind at all. Uh, this was going to be a single floppy release. So, yeah, the whole game was like, I don't know, maybe maybe two floppies. I think it was like three mechs, something like that. Mm. Uh, Very impressive. Yeah, it's mostly just the, the maps, right? It's just the top-down uh, sprite-based graphic stuff. A little bit of music. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of music in this game. If you think about it, there's not that whole... There's not that much in there. Perhaps yeah. the voices yeah. uh, would have taken a little bit more space. Yeah, I'm not sure if those were in the original idea of the floppy release, but yeah. Anyway, the the publisher said, "Well, floppy, that's nice, but actually, there's CD-ROMs now, so maybe release it on that." And they found themselves with another 680 megabytes to fill. Uh, <laughs> didn't really know how. They only filled half. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's when the idea of creating all the cutscenes came in. No, maybe it would have been smarter if they had just used the space for CD audio. Mm, definitely. Proper music. I, I think, to be honest, in hindsight, it would have been wiser to just release the floppy version and mm. leave the CD-ROM stuff for the sequel. I wonder if, uh, if a possible floppy version uh, would have also meant an early release and also a release on the like Amiga and... yeah. 
Atari ST, meh. Yeah. Probably Amiga, yeah. Exactly. So that, that that's the interesting point, right? So there's a good interview with Mike Montgomery that's up on YouTube where he's he's asked that question. And um the game took four years to develop. So they started developing it in nineteen ninety-two. Oh. And they say it took two and two to two and a half years to finish. So in theory, it could have came out before Command and Conquer. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But with but with the delay, it came out right before Red Alert. Exactly. And I think that would have made a big difference, maybe, because they were now sort of trailing behind the trend instead of being at the forefront, right? Those two years made a big difference. Yes. And there's a small game called StarCraft that comes out very soon after that as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I haven't heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame. But you can't, you can't know this at the time, right? You can't know what is going to happen. And I, I sort of understand the idea that you need to be on CD-ROM in order to be relevant and in order to be taken seriously. So, hmm. yeah. I can just oh, well. put the floppy version on a CD without any additions. Well, still on CD. They didn't want yeah. to do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that, they actually had enough time during the whole FMV edition that one of the programmers, designers, Steve Tall, he actually went and worked on Command & Conquer after finishing his work on Zed. Yeah, because they had the game done basically in 94. Uh, and he was snatched up by Westwood. So, yeah, things could have been different maybe for Zed if they had released at a better time. But, well, that's all just conjecture really. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you compare it to Warcraft, it's 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 quite a mm. step up if you compare it to Red Alert. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not. So that's that's the problem right there, and that's also maybe the reason why this game faded into obscurity a bit. Uh, it could have been remembered as a classic one if it if it come out earlier, but oh well. I think Nick, you mentioned the sequel, right? I mean, you you played the sequel first, I think. I saw it running on a friend's computer right. uh, back in like 2002 or so. Yeah. I, I really don't remember a whole lot of um, it. Um, but from what I've heard, it's not that great. No. I've, I've also played the sequel. Um, yeah, so they've gone basically in the full 3D style. This is very basic looking polygons, everything sort of one kind of texture. Mm. And you can actually now um, go and build buildings. Oh, no. With construction units. And they throw away the whole flag capture thing. Oh. You have an income. It's very... Yeah. It, it, it works, but it's very basic. Mm. And there's now air elements and sea mm. elements and things. And nothing really melds together well. Sounds more generic. Yeah. Probably because that's what everyone else did at the and, time. And everyone else seemed to do better, right? So Yeah. Kind of makes sense to not push forward with your original idea if you think it doesn't really work that well. Commercially, at least. Yeah, but it's a shame. Mm-hmm. Because now it's just more generic. and yeah. So would you say that Zed is the, the final, well, successful in, in, in some way game from the Bitmap Brothers? Because after that... Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was just coming to exactly that conclusion that I think you could say that Zed was sort of the end of the classic Mm -hmm. Bitmap Brothers era. And I think they struggled a bit to make the adaptation to, well, more PC-focused, more multimedia-focused, grander designs. The whole industry was really changing by the late 90s. Uh, the whole triple A thing was was emerging. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, games were made by giant teams. Took several years, and yeah, they were not really from this tradition at all. 
And uh, I think they suffered a bit and, and struggled to adapt to this new reality. So, yeah, they tried. They tried making 3D games. They made uh, another speedball game. I'm not sure if that one is actually 3D, uh, Speedball 2100, which they released in 2000. And then the next game was the sequel to Z, Steel Soldiers, in 2001, which was all 3D. Yes, uh, just a quick Google search uh, reveals that Speedball 2100 is a 3D game for the PlayStation. Right. But it does have some interesting uh, 2D visuals as well. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the character models are, they're, they're models, they're not sprites anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they made the switch to 3D, just like the whole industry did, really. Um, yeah. But none of these games were as successful as their earlier 2D ones. Um, the last one was World War II Frontline Command, which I think is basically Steel Soldiers, but with a more realistic approach. It's, yeah... It's, it's another 3D RTS uh, released in 2003. I'm, I don't think this one is either remembered as a, a really great game or anything. So, yeah, this was more or less the end of the Bitmer Brothers. That's a little sad. <laughs> yeah, oh well. Um, Mike Montgomery did team up with John Hare of Sensible Software and also John Phillips, who worked at Bitmer Brothers before. Um, they formed a new thing called Tower Studios, mainly to try to revive Speedball because Speedball 2 was really popular and good game. So I think they were really trying to get a, another sequel uh, or just revive that whole thing. Um, they released a, a mobile game in 2007, released a mobile port of Z as well in 2011, and then went on to release that mobile port to the PC. So if you go to Steam or GOG now and you, you find Z. What you actually find is that mobile port they made in 2011. Yeah. Did anyone play that? I didn't personally play it. I did see some footage of it, and I've read a bit mixed reviews. Some people say it's a shame it's not as good as the original, but other people say it actually plays rather well, and it's actually fine. So I'm not sure. I struggle to think how this game would have played on a mobile device. Yeah. With what with the AI, unless they did some some magic in their quality of life uh, improvements, or perhaps toned down the AI a little bit. I've not played it, so I don't know. I don't know if any one of you played it. No, no, mm. no, not sure. This is this is the DOS game club, not the iOS game <laughs> exactly, club. Exactly, exactly. A single letter difference, yes. but that's yeah. very important. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a shame that you can't buy the original on GOG. Uh, a lot of DOS originals are on GOG, but not this one. So. That's yeah. a shame. Or anywhere, actually. Can you actually buy the original DOS version or the Windows version? No. Anywhere? No, I don't think so. I don't think Me so. Me neither. So uh, that is a shame. Yeah. Um, in 2019, the entire Bitmap Brothers catalog was purchased by Rebellion Developments, which is a British game studio. Um, they've made stuff like Sniper Elite and also made a bunch of Alien vs. Predator games. So maybe anyone has played any of those. Uh, I don't know exactly why, but yeah, they're now the owners of all the, the IP. So maybe there will be more Z stuff in the future, but it, I don't know. It's, I don't think Mike Montgomery is involved himself anymore with this brand. So, mm. yeah. No, they're still making Sniper Elite games. I think they're, very, they're fairly popular, I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, this is sort of the story of the Bitmap Brothers. Um, peaked early, I would say. And then, yeah, had a good run in the early 90s, especially. Uh, I think especially the Chaos Engine is remembered by Amiga fans. Made a lot of good platformers. Didn't they make, didn't they release two Chaos Engine games, I think? Yeah, there was a sequel, mm. but I don't think the sequel was Never played as a, good as no. the first one. Uh, it was also released with like another title in the US, but I, I struggled to remember what it was. Mm. Uh, Soldier of Fortune Ooh. or something. Soldiers of Fortune, I think. Yeah. Something like that. That's a bit generic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah well. Oh yeah, I want to I want to quickly mention Mark John Coleman and Dan Malone, who were responsible for a lot of the visuals in their games. And I think the visuals are really what the Bitmer Brothers 2D games, at least, were all about, right? So that that distinct visual style is is largely due to those guys. I find them very inviting. I get this very warm and fuzzy feeling when I see these uh, hmm. these beautiful pixel art visuals it's mm-hmm. kind yeah. of a lost art even today when people try to emulate the 8-bit or 16-bit uh, look they come off as different not bad mm. or anything but very different right and this this sort of style just it's it's really beautiful yeah yeah they were really good at that stuff and or i guess it's because i grew up with these sort of <laughs> games I just find them beautiful <laughs> that definitely helps yeah that def- perhaps someone else has a different perspective um I think that's that's a lot of that part already, how the game came to be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talked about the graphics a bit, running in standard VGA and high-res super VGA. So yeah, the graphics are great. But is there a lot to say about the music and the sound? There's not a whole lot of music in there, is there? Nope. It's pretty much the one track the whole time, isn't it? That's a bit of a problem. It's a good track, though. It gets you pumped. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think they have different tracks for the different sceneries like you move to a different tile set a different planet i think they have a different song for that there's a different track definitely for the jungle but i think most of the other ones are fairly similar mm, yeah. and there's another track that that turns on when enemies approach your base to let you know that that's going on yes so it's it's a bit bare bones it's good but it's should have been more could have been more oh well yeah and of course the voices least, they're the classic the voices, rts yeah. voices this all of the games had that, right? When you click a unit and they say something, that's yeah, they've got that going. They're funny. So. They're they're cute in a way. Again, like I said, it reminds me of Worms in the way mm. that they exclaim and when they're in like under attack or dying, right? Uh, but they also serve a very useful purpose that um, they alert you to different things. Like we said earlier in the talk. Um, Things happen a lot in this game. A lot of things happen at the same time. And it's sometimes very hard to to, to have your attention on everything. Mm. But the voice cues, they help you to quickly engage in different situations. So um, if perhaps an enemy that you haven't seen attacks one of your units, they alert you to it. And you can just quickly divert your um, your attention to that. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's cool. That's That, that really makes them useful instead of just a novelty feature yeah well speaking of novelty features one thing i found that you guys might not have found was that um the the voice assistant there the lady voice assistant the unit built vehicle built whatever will actually start uh telling you you're you're playing the game badly aren't you if you start losing (laughs) what (laughs) nice you're not doing very well are you (laughs) really rubbing that in yeah that's funny (laughs) 
there's not a whole lot to tell otherwise i think about the whole visual and audio presentation it just it looks good it sounds all right it's works maybe not too special but it's definitely not bad so yeah it's i think a good summary is that it looks a bit different it looks kind of cool but it's not not really like like a technical no uh specialty or or it doesn't really use like like uh whatever new technologies or yeah i guess had it come out earlier so you know 94 mm. 95 perhaps with the svga mode going on yeah that would have been impressive mm-hmm. yeah to yeah some degree that's, that's the thing but by 96 i think it was rather pedestrian of games to have mm. an svga mode yeah definitely um the original game was released for MS-DOS, but actually in 1996, well, there were plenty of DOS games released in 1996, but it was sort of nearing the end, mostly because in 95, of course, Windows 95 came out, and that changed the whole PC landscape massively. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if this game ran in Windows 95, but they did. They did make a, a sort of update for 95, right? It does run, actually. Okay. Uh, that's how I played it. Ah. I played it on a Windows 98 computer, and it just, you know, if you start the uh, executable, it just pops up. It's fine. Hmm. That's nice. So that's nice, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. But in, in 98, they did release an update, uh, which also included an expansion, which um, included a native Windows 95 version. That's so that's just running in an actual Windows environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they added a bunch of levels. They added a level editor, I think. I didn't play it myself. I don't know if any of you played the expansion. Me neither. I haven't played it. I got a little bit confused because I remember playing both versions, I think, to be honest. Like, I, I, I had... I'd remembered that bridges and and manufacturing facilities repaired themselves and then was surprised when they didn't when I played it mm. for the in the DOS version. Right. And things like, for example, um, the right mouse button in the Windows 95 version, they changed it to deselect the units rather than pressing spacebar, like Florian was saying earlier. That's good. Um, but of course, in DOS, it's only spacebar. Yeah, they changed a few minor things, I think, as well, in terms of the like how the game works. It's not a major difference, right? It's still the same game, yeah. Yeah, I was looking this up um, and I was a little bit confused because Moby Games says there were 11 levels added, but Wikipedia says there's 15 levels added with the expansion. So I'm not sure. A a bunch of levels were added, I guess. (laughs) I'm not sure how. I've also read that these levels are mostly just repeats of of earlier levels, so I'm not really sure. Mm. I guess the inclusion of a level editor is is the main thing. So you can just make your own levels, so. Yeah, that's cool. It was also ported to the PlayStation in 97 and the Sega Saturn in 98. So it's always a bit awkward, isn't it, playing RTS games on a console? It it Uh, is. Um, And it's actually kind of interesting seeing how the developers tackle the, the whole gamepad situation. Sometimes they come up with rather interesting ideas. Sometimes it works. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. But um, yeah, I actually happened to read a review of the Saturn version from the official Sega Saturn magazine. Okay. And, um, you know, usually when you look at RTS games on consoles, the reviews of that era are very, um, how shall I put it nicely? They, they have no clue. 
<laughs> how to tackle those games. They're very, they're like, why is this on this console? Why why are we playing this? Yeah. But yeah. no, on the on the review that I read, they were very nice to it. They were like, this is a fun game. Huh. Um, they were just a little bit um, concerned uh, because they were saying that perhaps if you haven't played Command and Conquer or Warcraft 2 that had also come out on those consoles, um, you know, if you haven't played those, perhaps you should play those first. Zed mm. is a very difficult game. Yeah. Uh, they said. But if you have played those games and you want more and you don't have a PC, then definitely get this game. Huh. So that was a very interesting, uh, very nice little review from that era. Yeah. Maybe it actually is more suitable for consoles because this game is more action-focused fo- than a lot of other RTS games. So maybe it actually does work pretty well i don't know yeah but i'd also struggle to to really put myself in that situation where i'd have to play with a gamepad yeah that's the thing because it's again very hard game very much uh tests your uh your reflexes yeah in, in a way um not to say that it wasn't compatible with uh mouse peripherals for those consoles sure could but, have worked. Yeah. but at that point just you know <laughs> yeah, you don't so buy you don't a PlayStation to use a mouse, do you? That's just not... Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also the TV offers a lower resolution, which makes these games a little bit difficult to get a good overview of the map. So, yeah. yeah, uh, Those games played, definitely, they, they played at VGA resolutions. Um, yeah. 320 by 200 or probably 240 uh, on those consoles. Right. So not the Super VGA version. Mm. Maybe the Sega Saturn guys, they were happy to have any games because they were not actually blessed with a <laughs> huge catalog of games. Yeah, right? yeah definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, Sony having yeah. less problem with that with the PlayStation. I guess if we, yeah. if we take a look at the Sony, at the PlayStation reviews for that for that game, um, I think the reviews might actually be a lot different to that Saturn. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like we said, in 2001, they released a sequel, which I'm told has a, has a better story, although I'm not really sure how much of this is really important. Uh, it, it's a very silly story. The Red and Blue have made peace and they've gotten rid of their armies, except that there is a secret uh, army base being built up there. And it's a question of what's going on. And it goes silly from there. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, and of course, then uh, later the mobile port stuff happened, which we mentioned, uh, which is what you can get right now on Steam and GOG. So, yeah, that's, that's, well, it's a good number of ports. And, 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 well, there's a sequel. It, it sort of died there. It, uh, yeah. Like we said, things maybe would have gone differently if they had released before Command and Conquer and would really, put themselves forward as one of the big RTS games. But yeah, since that didn't happen, it became more of an afterthought. So, But um, speaking of all the reviews, I, I think it's interesting to look at them. Um, I think you find a, found a good number of them, David, didn't you? So yes. Yeah, so funnily enough, uh, the UK magazine I found reviewed it the highest. Surprisingly. Huh. They're not biased well, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're talking about this um, PC, PC Zone um, review. Uh, yeah, they have the game on the cover, but if you look inside the magazine, you will see that they also have a preview of Command & Conquer Red Alert. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is, hmm, which, it would come out a month later, right? But, and but is that British, that, Florian? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, if you have, it's, it's not really fair uh, towards that, right? Because mm. if you have a review, preview of uh, 
Command and Conquer, and yeah. then compare it to Z, it's like, hmm, yeah. maybe I'll wait a month. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. PC Zone UK I'll... gave Z 92%, so how can you fit in you know, Red Alert in between that and 100%, you know? <laughs> That's kind of complicated. Uh, but uh, Next Generation Magazine gave it 4 out of 5 stars. Uh, GameSpot gave it 7.2 out of 10. And Computer Gaming World gave it 3.5 out of 5. Mm. Um, These are not bad scores, though. No, they're all quite decent. They, every, everyone in the reviews, so they enjoyed the challenge of it. This is a, this is a different take on real-time strategy. Um, they all mention it's a Command & Conquer clone. But, you know, technically, as we spoke, it's actually not a Command & Conquer clone. But... Uh, <laughs> No, yeah, it's unfortunate timing. Yeah, every review that you read on Moby Games, for example, says that it's yeah, it's it's very much like Command and Conquer or Warcraft. Yeah, it's not a bad game, but actually those are better. <laughs> so, and they all note the difficulty of the game, and they also mention about the uh, the campaign is not that long, huh. but it's not going to hang around for many people. Is it really not that long though? Because I think twenty levels is not bad, is it? Yeah, but I think once you know how to play them. They probably don't take so so long to finish. Yeah. I think the main problem is replayability because other games, particularly your Command and Conquers and Red Alerts, had the skirmish mode mm. where you could literally just go in and just do a mission, yeah. essentially, at random. And whereas Zed, you are locked in to this, here is these maps, here, here is what you do. You do exactly the same thing each time. Exactly. So it's... Uh, yeah. So it, actually, it wasn't reviewed that poorly. Um but just given the competition, hmm. yeah, it, it didn't have much of a chance, did it? It's a very busy time in gaming. Looking at all those magazines, there are a lot of things coming out that very much were drawn attention away from Zed. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, totally. And people were playing all sorts of genres as well. That's, that's, I mean, people tend to be more like I play this sort of game or I'm really into that. But I remember people just happily switching between Command and & Conquer and Quake and, and playing a business tycoon one week and playing a <laughs> murderous car game the next. And it's, yeah. Yeah, totally. Now that you, now that you mentioned uh, Business Tycoon, I just remember that I read in one of the reviews in the German one that uh, Zed is basically Command and Conquer without SimCity. Ah, mm. that's, yeah. yeah. Because there's no building and there's yeah. no, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to get this game now, it's kind of difficult, right? Because, well, like, yeah, like we said, there's a port on Steam and GOG, but that's not really on the upside though the game is actually quite uh, quite readily available and for very little money on eBay usually so oh. even as a, as buy it now you can get a boxed copy for like 15 to 20 euros and buy it now is usually huh. very much overpriced <laughs> so <laughs> okay i guess if if you find the time to actually bid on one then you might get it for very cheap i might end up on game i might end up yeah. getting one oh that's then. nice <laughs> um we should also mention a thing called the Zod Engine, um, which is an open source re-implementation. I think that's probably the the, the most um, well accurate or the most faithful way if you want to play it now using a modern, like in a modern environment. Yeah, someone basically made a re-implementation of the engine of of uh, Zed, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't actually play it. The, the Zod engine, but it's a re-implementation. It's, um, it's cross-platform, yeah. I believe. So you can, if you want, you can just port this to your mobile Android, whatever, or your BOS, whatever you <laughs> want to port it to. Um, and it's great. It's multiplayer-focused, I believe. Yeah. 
I really wonder with stuff like that, when people don't have the source code, how do you make sure that all the rules are really exactly the same? Because for many games, it's so hard to figure out all the rules. Well, it's not going to be exactly the same, hmm. but it's going to be so close, or at least they're going to get it to be so close. And the quality of life improvements that they <laughs> might add in, yeah, you know... I think these games are typically also made by by like super fans of the game, right? So yes. these are people who are yeah, really true. familiar with all the intricate little details. So I guess that's the way. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, I remember, there is the one for it. XCOM that I always play when I when I when I want to replay the the XCOM uh, game. I don't yeah. go back to the DOS version. I play the uh, the the reimplementation. Open yeah, yeah. Open XCOM exactly, and it has this one feature that I absolutely love i can just uh load any saved game from within the battle i don't have to yeah. actually exit the battle and then <laughs> it's silly but you do it yeah. so many times that it gets annoying in the original and that's just a very small quality of life improvement yeah that only exactly. fans of the game that have played it endlessly <laughs> will understand oh you know yeah we've got to fix that yeah and it's very simple exactly so maybe if you want to check it out now the sword engine is not a not a bad way um, I think it still needs the original content. So I think you still need that from your CD-ROM of the game or whatever. But mm -hmm. yeah. But also getting the DOS version to run in DOSBox is no problem. So. I wonder, does it work with data from the mobile port? So if you bought the Steam release, does it actually... I very much doubt that. Hmm. I I don't know. But right. I don't know. Oh, you can't have everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Right. Um... Did we miss anything? Multiplayer, perhaps a little bit. Right. Yeah, the game... Well, we talked a little bit about it, how yeah. this game should be really good for LAN parties but, and stuff like but that. But nobody played it. <laughs> um, it supports four players. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Did anyone see that? How does that work out? I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I think just different colors. So you can uh, end up out. You can choose who you ally with. You can fight out four v four, or you can you know two v two, or you can nice. stab your teammate in the back and switch <laughs> sides halfway along. Has anyone ever done? You that? can do lots of different things. <laughs> be awesome, actually. But is it is it four colors, David? I would believe so. Yes, it would have to be right. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because I was just wondering. There's only the red and blue in the in the normal one, but yeah. So they they had two additional colors just for the multiplayer. Must have had, because otherwise, how can you, how can, how can you tell? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also special multiplayer levels, right? There's six of them I read, I'm reading here. Mm -hmm. So they had specific two-player levels. They had one for each uh, set of textures, and they doubled up on the city because they liked the map so much. Hmm. And then there were, again, another set of three- and four-player levels, which obviously have to be set up differently because there are now four forts for the players as opposed to just two. Right. I just found yeah. a YouTube video of a three-player battle, um, mm -hmm. and it's actually kind of interesting. They have uh, red, green, and blue, and they put the mm -hmm. forts right next to each other. So, like, oh. they're adjacent. The this evil the territories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of a shame they put in a lot of effort into the multiplayer. Clearly, yes. Um, and I think this, it it works really well, but. I'm not sure if it actually supports um like over the internet. I I don't it think it probably does. Probably does. IPX probably. Yeah, but then you need like uh, some sort of like DOSBox offers this IPX over IP thing. Yeah. But natively this would just be local network only. 
Well, uh, I don't think any other games in 96 did TCP IP. Uh, maybe. Rather, I don't know. Probably just very few. I, I can't think I of... I think Red uh, Alert had internet play built in. I'm not sure. Huh. But... Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Well, if you had a modem, you could play with your friends. Mm, that's true. That's true. There's modem. And and usually back then, if if you went the TCP IP route, I don't know if you guys remember it, there, was the, there were these... Um, services like M player mm. and um what else was there? Microsoft Zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Microsoft Zone, man. I haven't <laughs> thought of that for a while now. Yeah. But yeah, these uh basically routed your um your connection to other players. Yeah. And made your life easier essentially. Yeah, it probably works with that. So yeah. So maybe maybe as a multiplayer game, this game is really where it shines the most. Uh-huh. I think. Oh, I, I remember having fun with it, though I think yeah. none of us players really knew how to play it really well. So, <laughs> no, but that's the that's the best way yeah, to play. That's it, right? part of the fun: <laughs> discovering how you can annoy exactly. your friends and yeah, <laughs> break your friendships. <laughs> so, yeah, what's the conclusion then? I mean, how do you? Yeah, does it hold up? What do you think now? I think if you're an RTS fan. It can be quite quite a different and uh, entertaining change for a while. If you're just a casual RTS player like me, then it may be a bit much. Yeah. Just for, for the difficulty that it has. Yeah. I personally had a lot of fun, but it did get a little bit too long in the tooth. But would I recommend it to someone? I guess, yeah. If, if you're really into RTS games or you want to see the history of early RTS games and how they evolved throughout the years... I think it's a very interesting title. And yeah, it's a bit more niche and cult, but it's definitely not as obscure as other games that followed. Like I remember Dark Colony. Does anyone even remember that? Mm -hmm. Like a year later. Yeah, that's like very obscure titles. Yeah. It's still relevant. Yeah, it's still relevant enough to to look into it. Well, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Um, It makes actually sense to just play the game. Yeah. Even if you're just trying out exactly. the first few levels to see if it's for you or not. But yeah. at least the first three or four levels are not that hard. So after that, it gets hard. But mm-hmm. to see what it's all about, the first few levels are great, I think. And at least you can just watch the cutscenes on YouTube and just... Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, David? Yeah, I'd like to uh, double up on what Florian said, to be honest. Um, it is really a different take on RTS. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fun to be said in turtling up your base and then getting a massive army and then steamrolling, but being always on is just such a different way of playing and something that mm. there was only a handful of games that really attempted this in, in recent times, and recent I mean like 15 years ago. <laughs> um, there's, there's a Warhammer 40K game, Dawn of War, that did something similar and um, mm. just made me appreciate it. But trying something that's deviating from the normal is, is you know, not a bad thing. No. give you interesting angles on on an old favorite formula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to to wrap it up. If you're a fan of the of the genre or just want to see like the the last great Bitmap Brothers game, then then this is definitely something to check out. But there's it, it, RTS is like a, a weird genre. Uh, I mean, the way it evolved, right? I mean, I remember in the in the mid '90s, it was huge, and there were tons of these games coming out. But nowadays. I'm not so sure. It's evolved more into online MOBA stuff, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of weird that the whole genre is sort of gone. 
it kind of peaked early. Yeah. And then little variations. I think uh, the greater variation that happened was with um, uh, Warcraft 3, I guess, or something like that, where they mm. introduced like RPG elements and heroes and all that. So yeah. it kind of went that way for a little bit. And then StarCraft 2 also gave it a big uh, a big boost again. But after that, it's... It's a little bit muddier and yeah, we've just really had remasters for the past five, ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Well, so. yeah, the Command and Conquer remaster yeah. was phenomenal. Though. It's good. Starcraft comic mode. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good. But it's essentially just the original game, right? So yeah, basically, yeah, with quality of life improvements and and all of the Age of Empires as well. Mm, well, that yeah. had a resurgence in in the last few years. Yeah, somewhat. Age of Empires yeah, too. They, they even released but, like new expansions for it. Mm. But this this set is definitely different from all of those. So, yeah, it's it's just worth checking out for for the uniqueness. I think. Yeah, and and if you're more of an action fan, then maybe this appeals to you more than than traditional RTSs, which tend to be more about leaning back and just letting the guys build stuff. <laughs> at, uh, at least in single player. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Multiplayer is different. I've tried yeah. uh, StarCraft on the internet once. It wasn't a good no, idea. No no. no, no, no. That's not relaxing at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that wraps it up, right? So um, maybe we should talk a little bit about what's going on with the club, Florian. Right. So the next episode will be about Wing Commander. Um, by mm-hmm. the time this episode comes out, uh, the month we play Wing Commander and will be over. So... Uh, yeah, you can still send us voice messages, I guess, if you have something to say about Wing Commander, which many people probably have. So send us a voice message, please. Yeah, it's a cool game. I'm enjoying yeah. it. I just yeah, only yeah. started playing recently, but yeah, I'm into it. Right. Um, now, in the same month this episode will come out, we are actually playing Ecstatica, which is, mm. I don't know, what what what's the genre, actually? Uh, horror survival, I guess. Horror survival. It's yeah, uh, like, yeah. like Alone in the Dark, but with spheres. Instead of polygons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. it. Ellipsoids. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very fitting for the Halloween spookiness of October, right? Right. So hopefully. We will see. Yes. I actually I actually insisted and recommended ah, it as well. Perfect. So I'm very happy to see this and perhaps yeah. replay it. Yes. You can join the show. One one seat already filled. Perfect. Right. Great. <laughs> and any month after, in November, we're going to play Street Rod, which I hear is a favorite game of one of our hosts. Yay! Yes, yes. Look, the whole game suggestion thing that we've got going on, it's fine, but Street Rod just needs to be played. So I just, <laughs> I just figured, okay, we're going to play this because I played the hell out of this as a kid and I was massively into it. So... Yeah, this is just one of my personal favorites. Can you give a three-word description of the game? It's it's building cars and then racing them. So Perfect. It's, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's really cool. And and the, the most fun I had was just figuring out how to build the car because actually not every engine fits in every car <laughs> and not every gearbox works with every... So you have to like properly look at what you're doing uh you can't just like a lot of racing games have this upgrade mechanic Mm -hmm. right where you can just say oh yeah better this better that but in this game you can totally spend all your money on a part that doesn't even work in your car so (laughs) that's that's something special right so that's the next few months covered and if you want to discuss any of those games with us best is to go over to dosgameclub.com and 
talk to us on the forum, mm-hmm. uh, where you can also just suggest games. And there's also a link that tells you how to send a voice message, which you will likely send us very soon. <laughs> um, other ways to contact us are via IRC, which is in channel DOS Game Club on the Afternet IRC network. There's our Twitter account, which is at DOS Game Club. And last but not least, if you're listening to the show on some kind of podcasting app, please leave a review or at least click five or as many stars as possible. <laughs> Give us a high number <laughs> review. Yeah. That would be very much appreciated. Definitely. We always like these little uh, written comments as well. So uh-huh. yeah, definitely leave those. They brighten up our days. Yes. Okay. That's it, I think. Um, thanks a lot for listening and, and thank you for, for joining. Thank you. Yes, thank you, guys. Thanks. So, yeah, looking forward to the next one. And uh, that's it for us. Bye. Bye. Bye.